Glory to God. We are going to be over in Acts the 16th chapter today. Acts chapter 16. There was a couple who was sitting with a marriage counselor for their first session. And the good doctor asked them, well, what seems to be the root of your problems? And the wife responded, it all started when we thought it would be cute to think up each other's New Year's resolutions. <laughs> oh, my. I'll tell you what, if we could find the root of the problems that we face, how much easier is it to solve them? Finding the root of the problem. We call this here the root cause, and we're going to see some things here in Acts chapter 16 as we're dealing with the people problems that we come into. Just in review, we saw that frustration sets in first and foremost because we feel powerless in a situation, because we feel confused, secondly, and thirdly, because we feel unjustly treated. The most common reason we get frustrated is because we feel powerless to change a situation that we are in. We feel confused. We're not sure what to do, how to fix it. We feel unjustly treated. Frustration arises when we do what we know to do with all diligence and fail to get the results that we need. We think that God ought to make up for the effort that we put out there. We saw that with the disciples and battling the boat. Gave you this definition of frustration. Hopefully you've uh, got this down. But frustration is a feeling of dissatisfaction often accompanied by anxiety or depression resulting from unfulfilled needs or unresolved problems. There is a difference between anger and frustration though. There is a difference between anger and frustration. Anger is directed at us for a reason. There is a cause for it. Laziness, neglect, disobedience, stuff like that. Frustration is reached by using the wrong tools, using the right tools in the wrong way, using no tool or doing nothing. Anger is directed at us for the purpose of change or correction, while frustration builds up in us for the purpose of dismay, discouragement, or dysfunction. Dismay, discouragement, or dysfunction. Last week we looked at Peter and John. They came to the gate beautiful. They saw the man lame from birth. He's over 40 years old. Been there for, been in that condition for over 40 years. Came to the gate. People brought him to the gate every day. So how does he ask them? As he did with everyone else, did he ask with expectation? Or habitually and routinely? We saw that more than likely, he was just sitting there, alms, alms, alms. No expectation, just asking. He would just ask, because if he asked a thousand people, maybe one or two of them might give you something. And alms, alms, alms. There was no expectation. He's just asking. That's what Ethel and Brother Jolly were talking about. People, we cannot come to God just asking. We have to come to God with expectation. Just asking does not bring results. We have to ask be in a place to expect to receive. And so they said to the man, look on us. And so the man looked at them and what did the Word of God say about it? Expecting to receive something from them. He went from the place of habitually asking to a place of expecting to receive something from them. And Peter did this with three words. Look on us. I think that's just amazing. 
You take a guy from out of the realm of being just habitually asking into the realm of expectation by three words. Look on us. We gave you that quote last week. Declaration comes before deliverance and showed a number of places in the Word of God where that happened. Where people said what was going to happen before it did. And too often we want, we want to just acknowledge what has happened. But we need to declare what is going to happen. Look on us. And of course, people got mad at them for that. They got hauled off into jail, put in there overnight. <coughs> Gave you this truth. The power of the false is in the illusion that most follow or believe it. That is the power of the false. That's why I tell you to get away from the news media. Because the news media is trying to give you the impression that everyone believes this way. If you think that most people believe in this way, then you are motivated to believe that and therefore they have power. The only power that the darkness has is the thought that most people believe it. The power of the light is in the truth, not in the number of people who follow it. The power of the light is in the truth. When you're dealing with evil people, the goal is to expose their false premise, expose their false teaching, expose their false intentions so that those around can follow the light. And this is how Jesus dealt with people who were false. He exposed their false premises. He exposed their false teaching. He exposed their false intentions. And when He exposed them this way, the people could follow the light. The man with the withered hand rise up in the midst and all the stuff that was going on in service that day. And he said, is it good to do, is it, is it lawful to do good or to do evil? To kill a life or to save on the Sabbath? And they could not answer him anything. But the people switched. They also said, well, of course it's, it's, it's lawful to do good. So they no longer had the power of the masses and they felt powerless to change and they left the service. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a, Jew, of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. I'll tell you, there's a huge story there with Timothy. What kind of things did he come up under in that family? Because the man was born of a Jewish woman who believed in circumcision, but the father did not. Do you think there was a little bit of a skirmish at home about that topic? Well, apparently the Greek dad won and he was not circumcised. But oh, how many things must have gone on in there. So Paul took Timothy, saw good things in him, but he saw that he would have a problem with uh, some of the Jewish people. So he went ahead and had him circumcised. And so Timothy joins Paul and Silas. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troash, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
Many people look for the guidance of God. Well, God, tell me if I should do this. Well, God, tell me if I should move in this direction or not. And they wait for the direction. They don't always move. But a mature person in the Lord knows to do what is in front of him to do and listen for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And there are some people can't do that because as soon as they get going in a direction, they are going to finish it. They don't, they don't listen to that voice that says, no, don't go there. But Paul was able to always be in tune with the Holy Spirit so that when he said, all right, we're going to go over here and the Spirit came up and he said, no, don't do that. All right, we're not going to do it. He didn't ask for a big explanation. He didn't say, why, why not? There's people there that need the Lord. When the Spirit of God said, don't go there, he, all right, we won't go there. Have it over here. No. Spirit's not permitting us to go there either. Forbid them to go in, one, in Asia. Did not permit them to go into Bithynia. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troash. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. This is one of the man in Macedonia. And said, come over to us. And he didn't know that that was God. He just perceived, well, this seems to be God telling us to go out there and preach the word to them. So he went on over in verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troash, we ran a straight course to Sumatras. And the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Now, she was already a believer. Paul began to speak some things about the church age about what Jesus Christ had come to do and what they were in. And she received it. She had an open heart. She had a soft heart to these things. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. All right, now that sets the stage. Now we get into trouble. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. So she did this for many days. I'm sure after the first day went on, Paul probably asked some people, probably asked Lydia, Lydia had been around here, or maybe some of the other people, Who is this girl? What's going on? Oh, well, she's teamed up with them. They're... Uh, she's a slave of them, and, and she does this fortune-telling. She has this fortune-telling business around here, and she tells people things, and they pay money, a whole lot of money. They get a whole lot of money. You should see the way they live. You should see the car they drive. You should see the camel they have. And they got a big camel. They got an air-conditioned one with stereo. <laughs> Cruise control. Whatever they might have done with their camels, they had something, and apparently they, they made a whole lot of money. On this thing, because really there's not a whole lot of expense for this kind of business, is there? You don't have to buy anything. You don't got to pay her much. She's a slave. So they weren't uh, having a whole lot of overhead here, but they got money from people. They did pretty well. And they were happy with this arrangement. They weren't going to try and get her cured or tamper with this thing at all. But she did this for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed. How many of you have ever been greatly annoyed that you can relate to this? Greatly annoyed. Now, most times we get greatly annoyed at people. Amen. (laughs) Mostly we get greatly annoyed at people. 
But we can also get greatly annoyed at other things besides just people. And um, I, I wrote this down in the, in the notes. I was thinking of some things that we can get annoyed or frustrated at. And I, I came up with four. Four basic things that we get annoyed or frustrated at. The first thing was situations. The, the second thing is words. We get frustrated or annoyed at words that people say. Don't you? Situations, words, people. People can get us annoyed. People can get us frustrated. And the last one I put in there was things. Four things that we can get frustrated at. Four things that can annoy us. Situations, words, people, and things. I abbreviated this way. I just called it swept. Because if we get rid of these things, these situations in our life, boy, it's a whole lot cleaner. A whole lot cleaner. And so I just abbreviated with swept. But you see there's an E in there that we don't need. So an E is a vowel. Like a vegetable. Just pick it out. Just like a vegetable, an unwanted vegetable, just pick it right out of there. That's what you do. Just, but that, that helps you remember. Four things that we can get. You find out in your life if there's, if, when you get frustrated or annoyed if it's not in one of these areas. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit. Now remember, we're dealing with, with situations, situations that frustrate us. When we are dealing with people, we speak truth. When we are dealing with spiritual forces, we speak to the wind. We speak to them. When Jesus dealt with the storm, He spoke to the wind. When He dealt with people, He spoke the truth. So, He does not speak the truth. He speaks to the wind. You see how this, these principles follow on no matter where you go? Paul, greatly annoyed... Now, we have to be careful because if you're not careful, when you are greatly annoyed, you can say some things that you don't want to. Anybody ever said some things when you were greatly annoyed? <laughs> oh, man, you can say some stuff when you get great, greatly annoyed. Sometimes I think the best thing to do when you are greatly annoyed is to get quiet. Because <laughs> you can't get in trouble for thinking something. <laughs> But you can if you speak it out of your mouth. <laughs> just sometimes it's just just better to hush, and uh, and not say some stuff. You if you learned that lesson, you would be greatly helped. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, "I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her." And he came out that very hour. Now, what's interesting to this is that it took a number of days. I don't think it took a number of days for Paul to realize that there was a spirit behind this because it was divination. And I think Paul, with his great knowledge of the Scripture, pretty much knew where that came from. I don't think he needed any special revelation to get that. But something happened on this day. I'm sure he didn't just suddenly become greatly annoyed and speak out of that greatly annoyed. I think he was greatly annoyed at this for a while. But he's talking to God. God, what should I do with this thing? This is a, I know this is the big situation here. This is the thing that's going on. It may be that he had the discerning of spirits and saw into the spirit realm. In the gifts of the spirit, there is one called the discerning of spirits. It, aggra it greatly annoys me. 
<laughs> when people call it the gift of discernment. There is no gift of discernment as a gift of the Spirit. And anyone who speaks of such is trying to add a tenth gift of the Spirit. There is no gift of discernment. I don't care how good you are at discerning what situation you are in. That is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the gift of the discerning of spirits. If you don't believe me, go look it up. It's in Corinthians. Law of nine of them are listed. It is the gift of the discerning of spirits. It is the gift to see into the spirit realm and visually see the spirit that you are facing. That's what it is. Brother Hagen told us of a situation where one pastor was in a church and Brother Hagen had gone on his travels there, had gone there a number of times and had preached there. And he said whenever he would go, it was like preaching to a wall. The words would just bounce back at you. Nothing would ever happen. You just, you preach and the words would just bounce right back at you. And uh, he came on back to that church one time when he preached. He said it was completely different. Completely different. The people who received the words, the people were, uh, were hungry for the and and things really went on. And he talked to the pastor afterwards and the pastor said, did, did, did you notice a difference from the times you were here before to now? And he said, man, it's like night and day. It was huge. What happened? He said, well, I noticed it too, and we could never figure out what this was. And one day, I was in the church, I was laying down on the stage, and I was praying in the Spirit. What is going on? What is it that's so hard about preaching in this church? And as I was laying there, all of a sudden, I was just staring up into the ceiling, and all of a sudden, the, the roof disappeared, and I saw up into the rafters of the church. He said, I got up, and I stood up, and I blinked, and I, I looked. Sure enough, I'm seeing right up into the ceiling of the church. And he said there was a small monkeyish imp-like creature that was up there, just sitting in the rafters. And so I, I spoke to it. I said, you, come down from there. And he came down. He jumped right down on the stage. He says, I really didn't know what in the world to do. I've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> Here's this thing. It's down on the stage. And I says, you have to go. And reluctantly, it started to walk back to the, the door of the church. I said, you have to go in the name of Jesus. And the thing moved towards the end of the door, got to the end of the door and looked back. And he said, go in the name of Jesus. And the thing took off running. Well, he went back to the door and looked at this thing. He saw it run to the end of the parking lot to the street and went down the road and jumped and went right into this uh, bar or saloon that was, was there. And he said, the next day, the thing burned down. <laughs> well, that was the discerning the spirits. He saw into the spirit realm. I've heard other ministers say that sometimes people have come up and been prayed for for deaf ears. And sometimes I saw right into the spirit realm that there was one of these small things just sitting on their shoulder with, an, with a, a finger right in their ear. Well, they knew exactly what to do with it. Then they just took authority over the thing and then they, they spoke to it. If you have the gift of discerning the spirits and see into the spirit realm and see the demon spirit, you do not have to ask what the will of the Father is. He gave you the ability to see that it was there for a reason. Not so that you know what color shirt they were wearing or how their hair was done. He wanted you to take authority over it and get it out. And people who did that, they would, I mean, sometimes you pray over people that are deaf and it's, it's not the cause. But sometimes you see into the spirit realm and there's this thing sitting on the shoulder and, and, and doing things. I heard one, one preacher who told about it. This person came up for headaches 
And as they were praying, they said they saw into the spirit realm and here's one of these things with an arm lock around their head. When they saw into that, they cast the thing off and she, the person was free from headaches from that point on. The gift of discerning the spirits. Thank God for that. It may have been that that came on Paul at this time. We don't know. He didn't say. Whatever it was, he was moved and motivated to speak to that spirit. He said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Now look at the things that she was saying. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Is what she is saying, is that truth? It's truth. There's nothing false about what she's saying. There's nothing wrong about what she's saying. So you've got to wonder, why does Paul care? What she's saying is right. Because all the people know about this woman. They know what kind of things that she does. And what she is doing is associating herself with Paul. And if Paul continued to let it go on, that association probably would have continued. He probably knew he's opening a can of worms if he does this. But he, whatever the reason was, after many days, he spoke to it. And the thing went. And not everybody was happy about that. So she was... Not free physically, she was a slave, and she was not free spiritually because she was possessed. And she's part of this very profitable fortune-telling business. But guess who profited the most? The men who owned her. She did not profit from this much, she was a slave. You don't pay slaves a whole lot, that's why they got the name. They bought her some, somehow, they got to a place and they bought her. And, um, and she was a slave to them. Put in your outline this. Be careful who you align yourself with. I don't mean just hang out with every once in a while because, you know, we got to hang out with some unsafe people every now, every now and then. We're not going to get any of them helped. <laughs> but be careful who you align yourself with. Paul is careful about aligning himself with this person who's trying to proclaim some things over the ministry. Mm-hmm. Be careful with that. If Paul, if Paul is trying to start a new church here in this new city, Philippi, if he is... He's got to be, he doesn't know, really know anybody at all. So he's, he's working on getting some alignments probably, get some influence, get some people to come on out to the meetings, get some folks born again. I heard somebody, and they would say this all the time, constantly they say this, whoever makes you can break you. If the news media rises up and makes a person famous, the news media can cut them down. Whoever makes you can break you. You've got to be real careful with who you align yourself with as far as who is going to help you. You remember back with Abraham when he had uh, conquered the five kings and he gave the tithe over to Melchizedek? But he, he brought all the stuff back that belonged to the five kings and he gave it to them and they wanted to pay him. They wanted to give him a, a portion. And they said, no, because if I let you do that, you are going to say that you made Abraham rich. He was careful about who he aligned himself with. Be careful. So this she did for many days. He spoke, Paul spoke to the wind. Greatly annoyed. Isn't it, isn't it interesting to know though this? You can be greatly annoyed and still speak by the inspiration of the Spirit. <laughs> How many have ever thought, if I am greatly annoyed, it would be only speaking out of my flesh? But he says right here, Paul... But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit. You can speak out of your spirit even though your flesh 
or spirit is greatly annoyed. You don't just have to speak harsh and bad things. Verse 19, But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, this is the source of why they're upset. They cannot make money off of her anymore. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men took away our money. Did they? No. These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Do they trouble the city? No, they troubled them. They took their money away. They took their means of making money away. And they really don't know any other way to replace it. So they're, they're upset. Too, too often, folks in darkness speak of what they're upset about. But it's not the real thing. Most of the time, it's for a selfish reason. Most of the time, it's because I'm not making money. I'm not doing something that benefits me. But they never say it that way. They always talk about its effect on the city, on the country, on the state, on whatever group that you're in or whatever it might be. This is what they speak to, even though that's not their reason and their motivations. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Beware of any person who lumps people into categories. I warn you about this all the time when it comes up in the news and people are grouping this group against this group and things of that nature. Beware of it. It is not for any good and it's not by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God does not look down upon man. We have this from Paul. And look upon Jew and Greek, Gentile and Hebrew. Man and woman. He doesn't look at it that way. He looks at people. And we need to do the same thing. doesn't matter what color their skin is. doesn't matter what country they were born in. doesn't matter what church they go to. doesn't matter what college they graduated from. doesn't matter what job they have. doesn't matter if they are poor, if they are rich, they are middle class. And if we allow people to pit one against another, it is not good. These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Now, let me ask you this. Are they really upset with the fact that they're Jews? They are upset with the fact that they cast out the spirit of the girl who is making them money. But look what they try and do. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Really? Exactly which customs are they? This is not their complaint. But they're just throwing accusations out there. Because if you throw the accusations out there, ah, you know, eventually you know, some of it might stick. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Now here you go. We got a whole multitude that rose up against them on the basis of one person saying something. How do they know that it's true? But where does the power of these men come from? The people who believed what they said. The power of darkness is in the mass of people who believe it. You'll find out all through Scripture. The power of darkness is in the masses. The power of light is in the truth. It is always, always going to be that way. 
anything that this world, anything that people try and throw your way, if its power is in... Well, look at all the people. If this is what they do, look at all the people who believe this. Look at all the ones who hold to this. They can't all be wrong. If they are pointing to that, know for certain it is darkness. Because all you need to do is point to the truth for the thing to be right. How many scientists of old who came up and said the theory of gravity, the fact that the earth was round, were there masses of people who believed it? No, most of the time it was a handful. But were they right? But they had masses of people who believed the world was flat. Did that make the world flat? No. But they tried to squash. The church itself came along and tried to squash some of these people. Newton had to recant some of his things. They forced him. You will not teach of this. <laughs> How ridiculous is that? The power of darkness is in the masses of people who believe it. If you want to find darkness, look for those who try to generate masses of people. I'm not saying that just because a whole lot of people believe it, it's wrong. I'm saying its power is in the masses of people who believe it. And they did that whole global warming thing for a while. Al Gore would be out there talking about what? Well, the consensus is. How many times did he use those words? Why? Because the power is in the masses. Not in that. Many had speculated the reason that Al Gore did not run for office is because global warming would have gone into a debate circle and he knew it wouldn't hold up. It wouldn't hold up. Because the, the facts are not there. Just the masses, supposedly, masses of people. Darkness and light are very easy to discern. And we need to discern it because if we are following after darkness, it's not going to help us. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. The motivation of most people who cause trouble, bring accusation, or promote a premise is the profit they gain. You look at all the things that have been out there, from global warming to uh, a host of things, the reason for it is profit. It is profit. Who is benefiting? Who's getting paid? The whole thing with the housing industry was, a, was, was brought about because of some people were making money. doesn't mean that the banks were making the money, but there were legislators, there were people high up in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac who were making money and they wanted the gain. Until you find out the motivation of a person, you have not discovered the foundation of their truth or their cause. You've got to discover the foundation of the truth or cause that a person has. Find out what is their motivation. The motivation of these men, if you would have questioned them, if you would have asked them, why are you, what principles are you really saying? How are they dangerous? Once you questioned them for a little while, you would have gotten down to it. Well, they, they cast out the spirit of out, out of our girl and now she can't, fortune tell, we can't make any money. There we go. All you got to do is ask some questions. As we said last week, until they come to grips with the darkness they are in, light is an enemy. That's why they will come after you. Until people come to grips with the darkness that they are in, light is an enemy. It is not just another force. It is an enemy. And they have to come against it. That's one reason that we even bring up anything political here in this church. Is simply for this reason. The media 
is constantly out against the light. And when we've had candidates that have come up and they have looked at things and they have uh, been in a certain way and you can see some... I'm not saying that they were perfect people, but they believed the light. What do they do? They throw accusation. They try and defame the person. Herman Cain was one of the foremost ones we saw that early on in the, in the election process. I never even heard of any of those accusations ever were substantiated. But they were making accusations against a man when no one even had accused him yet. It's just, it's wrong type of journalism until he finally dropped out. And we saw it with others as well. I've always held it this way. If the news media doesn't like somebody, there must be something good in them. <laughs> if they like somebody, there's probably nothing good in them. That's just something I've held to. It turns out to be generally this, the way that it is. Until they come to grips with the darkness that they are in, light is an enemy to them. They cannot allow light to go on. They must cause it to be, be brought down. This is why they have ministers out there. We know ministers aren't perfect, but if they're bringing light into people, well, we need to do something about it. And they come after them with everything they can to make them look silly, foolish. Truth is neither desired or understood by those in darkness. We said that last week. Truth is neither desired nor is it understood by those in darkness. Darkness comes from self-seeking. Darkness comes from self-seeking. There's three things here. I want you to get these. There's a progression here. Darkness comes from self-seeking. People who are in darkness are there because they sought after their own good and do not think for a moment that Christians are, are uh, void of this. Christians can become self-seeking just like heathen can. And if you get into a place where you are self-seeking, you will fall into darkness. That's how it is. You cannot be self-seeking. Jesus would teach us, if you seek after what benefits you, what good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? You cannot get into that area. First thing, darkness comes from self-seeking. Brightness from seeking the good of others. Brightness is not quite darkness, but neither is brightness light. There are many people in this world who are not self-seeking, they're not in darkness, but are not seeking after God. But they do seek after some things for other people. So there is some brightness that is there. But we want to go after the light. God is light. The Word of God tells us God is love. And the Word of God tells us that God is light. These are the things that are the, 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 the nature of God. He is light. Where does the... What, light, brightness comes from seeking the good of others. Light from pursuing the will of God. Light comes from pursuing the will of God of God. When Jesus would teach the people about becoming great in the kingdom, He would talk about seeking after the kingdom of God. If you want to become great, become least. In other words, don't be self-seeking. He did teach them to look after the things for others, but seek the will of the Father. We've got to seek after the will of the Father. Too often people and you got, you, we as Christians, we've got to get this down. If we seek after our own good, we will find darkness. 
You must seek after the good of the kingdom. If you don't, you will find darkness. Don't get darkness in your life. Don't bring it in. Stay pursuing the will of God. Too often people in relationships switch and become self-seeking in relationships and darkness enters in. And it ruins relationships. Don't let darkness enter in. Don't seek after your own good. Don't merely seek after the good of other people. Seek after the kingdom of God. Seek after His will. If you seek after the good of people, then if you were Jesus, you would have been out there seeking the good for the Pharisees. Jesus didn't do that. He sought the good of the kingdom. He sought the will of the Father. And sometimes that meant taking people like the Sadducees and Pharisees and putting them in their place. Light will do that. Brightness won't. I couldn't think of another word. That's why I put brightness there. You might think of a, another one. But it's, it's, it's not light. It's not light. It's not quite as dark as darkness, but it's not light. So they go on. Verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them in the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Now, when they accusations are made against Paul and Silas, there is no truth to their accusations. They don't bring truth. They don't care about truth. All they care about is getting power. We got power because we got the masses on our side. We got the masses on our side. Nobody ever asks them, why are you really mad? What, what makes you so mad now? Nobody asks them that. And so they took them and they beat them. They laid many stripes on them and they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now, most of us, if we've been beaten, thrown into prison, we wouldn't be in the happiest of mood. And we might be able to get into self-seeking. But if we got into self-seeking, we would be in darkness. And while they're in the inner prison, there is no light in there. It's dark. Yeah, but it was light for them because they sought the will of the kingdom. Oh, I'll tell you what, when you get into that and you find out the difference between self-seeking and seeking the will of the kingdom, it is huge in the area of light that you get. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. The keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. Well, it was dark. He couldn't see that the prisoners were still there, but he saw the doors were open. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. I have no idea how Paul knew that he was about to kill himself. He must have said something. Uh, you're not seeing anything because it's dark. Do yourself no harm for we are all here. Now think about this for a minute. Earthquake comes, everyone's shackles are loose, they all come off, the doors open up. If you are a prisoner, the doors opened up, your shackles are off, where are you going? <laughs> You're leaving, right? You're out of here. But apparently, Paul said, no, 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 let's all stay here. Okay. We'll wait for him to come in and, and fix the situation, put us back in the shackles, close the door. Okay, Paul. Why would you do that? Well, how do you know that Paul did that? Well, how does Paul know that they're all there? Is Paul lying? How does Paul know that all the prisoners are there? He must have said something. And everybody heard to Paul and Silas because they're in the middle of the prison singing. They got the prisoners' attention. It says the prisoners were listening. 
Paul probably said, hey, hang on a minute. This earthquake came from God. And it's because they put us in here in the wrong way. Now I'm telling you, don't leave. Well, if your God just caused an earthquake that caused shackles, everyone's, to fall off. And the door's open, but the walls are still standing. Yes, sir. I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> You're going to do what's going on. Where does the power of Paul's truth come from? From God. has no, no relationship to the masses of people that follow it. It comes from God. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He doesn't even count them apparently. He just gets a light and comes down before Paul and Silas. Why does he pick those two? Because they know these are the, these two. This is the reason this happened. Not anyone else. These are the two. They may have been the first ones put in, the last ones put in there or something. I don't know what it is, but they all know Paul and Silas are the reason this happened. We're coming around to you. We're, <laughs> you tell us what to do. And he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that great when people are asking you how to get saved? Well, when you walk in the truth and you speak the truth and you let the power of the truth go on, because people are too used to the power of the masses. They get tired of that. Here's the power. There's power in the truth. So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Why did the other receive salvation? Because he saw the light. He saw, I'm in the darkness. This is light. There's power here. There's something here I haven't been in before. Oh, this is better. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and they rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Now when we get to heaven, I'm going to ask the jailer myself. The line for Paul is going to be pretty long. So while I'm waiting in line for Paul, I'm going to go over here and ask the, the, the jailer, <laughs> who did you leave the jail in the custody of? Because apparently he was the only guard on duty. So who did you do? Wake somebody up in the middle of the night and bring them on over? How is it that you felt good to take Paul and Silas out? Because you were sternly warned, you don't let these two out of here. <laughs> and he was so uh, shaken by the command, he put them in the innermost prison. So the keeper of the prison reported these words, uh, verse uh, 35. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officer saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. <laughs> but Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? <laughs> no, indeed. Let them come themselves. And get us out. Now, he has not said a word about him being a Roman yet. Now, here he knew what he was doing because if you go up a few chapters, there's a fantastic story that accompanies this. We could have used this just as much as we could have this one to show some of these principles. It starts over in about Acts chapter 22 and keeps on going for several chapters. And Paul, before they beat him, they're getting ready to beat him. And Paul says, are you going to beat a Roman? And the guy comes down and says, uh, when he heard about it, the, the head guy comes on down and says, I paid a whole lot of money for my Roman citizenship. Paul says, I was born one. And he said, oh man, this is bad. <laughs> this is bad. So they know, you. first off, you not only don't beat a Roman, you don't put a Roman into bonds 
unless you know what they did. Because Rome will come down on you. And so these folks know, oh man, we don't need Rome to come down on us. Oh, this is bad. They're scared. They are really scared. As soon as they heard. And the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. So get this. We had an earthquake. Everybody's bonds were loose. The doors were open. Nobody left. They heard that part of the story, but when they heard they were Romans, they were scared. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you. Who would you be afraid of? The guy who can cause the earthquake or the Romans? But they were afraid. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So what they did was, you publicly embarrassed us. You publicly beat us. You publicly put us to shame. We're here to start a new church. So we're not going to go out of here shamed. And so they had the, the leaders, you come on over here and you take us out of the city. And when the leaders came, they said, all right, we'll, we'll follow you out. We're real sorry for what we did. All right, we've got to make a couple stops. First off, we're going to go over to Lydia's house. And so when they go, guess who goes with them? All the leaders of the house or the, of the city. They follow them. All the leaders come to Lydia's house. I bet you Lydia never thought they would have come to her house. They went and they visited every person who had gotten born again or had been involved in this thing and they went and saw all their houses. And when they saw them all, they had the leaders of the city come and put their stamp of approval on all these people who, who just became born again. And they said, all right, now we'll leave. Now we'll go. Put this in your outline too. Darkness always desires to stand there publicly and retract privately. Darkness does this all the time. All the, I mean, it's not a monthly occurrence. It is almost a daily occurrence. People that have been on the front page for something they did are put on the middle of the food section. <laughs> uh, we uh, reported that errantly. People that are in the front of the news beginning and they lambast them and they say all sorts of stuff about them. Then they, you know, issue a little blurb at the bottom of the newscast and type letters at the end of the show some days later. <coughs> this is what darkness does. It always desires to slander publicly and retract privately. <coughs> Truth doesn't have to do that. Darkness does. Light doesn't have to do that. But darkness does. Most people do not just start trouble for the fun of it. There is a reason. And it's usually their own self-interest. Most people do not just start trouble for the fun of it. There is a reason. And it's usually their own self-interest. This goes for Christians. This goes for non-Christians. People who start trouble generally start it because I am losing something I'm not going to gain something. Something's being taken away. This is the reasons for it. It's not a good thing. It's not good. Don't get into that. Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? 
So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into heaven or in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, As surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, if he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of the of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. Most times that people cause an offense is because they are protecting themselves, seeking after something to gain, trying to take something from someone else. They're not seeking the kingdom. They're seeking their own. This is why offenses usually come. People can get offended at the word that's in you. Certainly that'll be true. The word of God tells us that. They can get offended at the word that's in you. Don't you let that shake you. But that's not the ones that Jesus is warning about. He says, you take one of these little ones and you offend them. You push them off. Woe to that man by whom the offense comes. How many of you have ever had somebody come after you in this way? And you feel like, I need to get back at them. I need to do... No, look at what it says. Woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Look, just get out of the way. You don't know what's coming, but just get out of the way. Just stay over here. (laughs) You don't have to do anything. God will take care of it. You go out there and you seek the kingdom. Don't seek your own. Now, is getting saved and following Jesus beneficial to people, people's self-interest? Does it help them? Surely it does. Our job is to convince them that following after God is to their best interest. Darkness comes down to make it seem that it will not. And if people are caught up in darkness, they think, well, I don't want to go to church because I don't have to do this and I have to obey this and I can't do this anymore and... They look at all the things that they're going to be losing. But get saved and go to heaven. Glory to God. We've got a good place to go to. Our job is to convince them of that. We need to work to convince them. We can work on, on that. When we get into this next week, what I want us to take a look at is when we... The more I look at the frustration angle in this thing, the more I look at it, the more it looks like from the Word of God that if we enter into frustration, we enter into trouble. If we enter into frustration, the more I look at it, the more, the more I keep... I'm not saying that every single time, but I'm saying the more I look at this, the more it seems like if we enter into frustration, we enter 
into trouble. We need to stay out of the area of frustration. Now, I've been pondering the, the one aspect of this for a little bit. We're going to get into this next week. How many have ever been frustrated at work because your boss asked you to do something that was difficult or impossible? Anybody been there? handful of you. Come on. <laughs> we, have we been asked at work? Have we been asked at home? Have we been asked in different places to do something and it seemed difficult or almost impossible? I was meditating on this and I was shocked at this. There is something that will shock you out of your socks when you see this in the Word of God. If that has ever described you, if you have ever been in a place you need to be here next week. Don't say I'll get the tape. Because you need to be here. Oh, please be here. We're going to get into some things. I want to show you something. There is something you have done to your own life. Depend, well, what you have done in that situation has affected your life and you don't know it. What you have done in that situation has already affected your life but you just don't know it. I was amazed at this because there's a whole lot of Christians that are suffering things and they don't know their relation to it. When I saw the relationship to this, I was stunned. But it completely made sense to me once I saw it. Oh yeah, I can see how this fits in. I can see how this fits in. I can see how this fits in. Certainly that's why these folks were here and these ones were here. So if that describes you, we're going to get into that next week. We're going to get into that next week, okay? How many of you were here last week? And remember, I told you that there was going to be a story I would tell you and that you were to remind me of it. No one reminded me. And I had it already. So we'll hold it off till next week. We'll hold it off till next week and we'll get into it uh, then. I'll tell you what's a fun story. It's a fun story. But see, you didn't remind me. I figured you didn't care. Would you all stand up with me?